Let's pray one more time. Father, we, uh, we come before you as your people and ask for, once again, for you to speak to us uh, through your word, by the Spirit, and through your servant. Not for uh, our own glory or aims, but Lord, that you would be all in all in your people, that you would encourage and enthrall and challenge your people, that we would be more like you and find the life that's given and offered through your son. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a while ago, I was doing a Bible study in the book of Ecclesiastes with uh, a young adult class. And as we we're getting to the end, we came across these, these verses that, you know, um, in chapter 11, where he, he tells the people, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And I got to you know, have this, this conversation with these young people, most of whom had grown up in the church all their lives, about you know, what do you think about this idea of the, you know, this call to joy, this Christian life being one of joy, in some ways, their response was disheartening. It seemed foreign. That even from with, you know, within the Christian life and you know, growing up in Christian circles and attending you know, a solid Bible-believing church their, their whole life, the idea of a life of joy for the Christian seemed well, out of place. That in their mind, they, they viewed the faith as, at some level, a, a straitjacket. The thing that prevents you from doing what you actually want to do. The thing that kind of squashes and, and, and tempers joy and happiness. And yes, we can console ourselves in, in a future joy in, in heaven, but, but for the everyday life, joy was, well, far off. And we can kind of understand why some would, would feel this way. There are sacrifices that are demanded to walk in the ways of Jesus. You know, he, he calls people to pick up their cross daily to follow him. He demands you forgive those, well, who really don't deserve forgiveness. At times, it, it costs and it sacrifices even your good graces within the public. That you have to hold to opinions that are unpopular and out of step with the status quo. These are sacrifices that are called for, even demanded, so where does joy come from? And so today, as we're continuing our series of joy through life's hardships, uh, there is a unique one for the people of God, for Christians. Those who bear the name of Christ is to have joy in the midst of the sacrifices that Christ demands of his people. And if you would, begin to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. It's on page 1197 if you're using one of the pew Bibles that's in front of you. And if we remember from last week, we talked about as Paul is writing this, this book or this letter to the Philippians, he's, he, you know, he's in prison. Right? He's given his life to, to serve the Lord, to serve the, the ministry of the gospel, and he's paying a high cost for it. You know, traveling all around the world, not in like some first class thing, but like in, well, ancient forms of travel. It's not exactly pleasant. 
being rejected by his own people, and ultimately being in prison for, for years for the sake of the gospel. And it's in this he writes, starting at verse 1 in chapter 3, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, from which, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Paul starts off with a startling command. Rejoice. Take joy in. Delight in. Take pleasure in the Lord. And then he goes on to say something I think is, well, it catches me off guard. I've read it many, many times this week. But he says, this is a, a safeguard for you. Right? This is, doing this keeps you safe, keeps you out of trouble, keeps you from, well, danger. To not have your joy in the Lord you're putting yourself in a dangerous position. And he contrasts joy in the Lord with confidence in the flesh. So there's two different reactions that, that we may have, or two different errors on, on opposite sides that we may have to having joy in the Lord, to rejoicing in the Lord. There is going to be the liberal way and the conservative way. The liberal way is this. We hear God's call for us to be people of joy. And so we reason, well, if God wants me to be happy, if God wants me to have joy, well, then I should do whatever makes me happy. Right? It, is, it is pursuing joy, but without the sacrifice that God demands. Right? It's, well, I just pursue whatever, whatever I want. And Paul and Paul. Come, comes against this. You skip down to verses 18 and 19, and he talks about how, how many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, right? Like their appetites, what they desire. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. The liberal view says, I will pursue joy, but it's joy apart from the Lord. It's joy in the flesh. And the conservative view is equally uh, potentially damning. 
Whereas the liberal says, you know, I will pursue joy, but without the sacrifices. For, for many who have the conservative view, conservative error, it is, I'm going to sacrifice without joy. This idea that somehow that God is pleased with how much misery I am in for his sake. It's like, I mean, it doesn't make sense when we think of, of human relationships. Like, I mean, if you think about your marriage, uh, yes, there are certain sacrifices that everybody needs to make for, for a good marriage, but would it please your spouse if you said, listen, I really hate being with you, but do you see how, much I'm, how committed I am by, by doing this? Right? Nobody wants their spouse to say that. Right? We, you know, despite all, you know, the sacrifices, you know, we, we want our spouse to actually want to be with us, to enjoy us. But for some reason, you know, for some of us, when we think of God, we, we think that he is pleased with how much misery that we have in following him. And either of these errors, the conservative or the, or the liberal error, both of them will put us in, in dangerous positions. He says, this is rejoice in the Lord. This is a safeguard for you. Without this, you're in danger. So parents, as the primary disciplers of your children, as the one whom God has placed, as the one who's called to raise them in the Lord, that your discipleship goes beyond bringing them to church, teaching them doctrinal truths, making sure that they know their Bible stories, or even making sure that they're good kids. Your discipleship is teaching our children to enjoy God rightly. And anything short of that doesn't, isn't doing the full discipleship task. In the place where I, I moved from, you know, my church was a stone's throw away from another church, and they had probably the, the biggest Christian school in, in town. And, you know, I, be, doing youth ministry, I had, you know, dozens of the kids who went to this school come through the youth group at different points uh, at a time. And I'll tell you, you know, these kids... Well, you know, they had Bible classes every day. They, they knew their stories better than, than most kids. And uh, they had a lot of information. But I, I'll tell you that not a single one of the kids who went through that school had joy in the Lord or even a, a vibrant love for Christ. The faith was, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I know about that stuff. Been there, done that. But with, with nothing that gave them life from it. And that's not to rag on Christian schools, maybe that school, but not in general. But it is to say, it is to say that parents, you know, even if you're spending, you know, $15,000 a year to send your kid to a, to a Christian school, it may, not, it may fall far short of discipling them if it doesn't inculcate a joy in the Lord, a happiness in his presence, a delight in, in who you are before him. That we must rejoice for, because, you know, in Christ, he, he offers us, well, his life. There's security in there. And outside of the joy in the Lord, well, we are dangerous. We're, we are in a dangerous position. So I, I rejoice in the safety of Christ, but I also rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ. Paul goes on. Read with me again, verse, starting at verse 2. He says, Watch out for those dogs... 
those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who, are, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I have, myself have reasons for such confidence. And if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul goes on to say, you know, as he's telling them to have joy in the Lord, he immediately identifies one of the threats to their joy. What has been come to known as, as Judaizers. You see, as Christians, as we, we are t- talked about, you know, we, we live in intention in this world, right? There's the way of the flesh, which e- either there's the you know, liberal way or the conservative way, uh, and then there's the, the way of the gospel, of joining the Lord. And in each scenario, false teachers come along and want to ease that tension, the tension between us living in, you know, in the flesh but of the spirit. And so some people will come along and they'll... And they'll offer you, well, say, you don't have to worry about the way of the flesh. Pursue it. Right? The liberal view will, will say something like, listen, whatever you desire, you know, that's fine and God's happy with it. A couple weeks ago, there was, a, uh, there was an ad. And the ad was so bad, I, I almost thought it was satire. It was from um, a, what I'd consider an, an apostate denomination. And it's, you know, they're saying, hey, we just developed this app. And these are, the, these are lines. It, you can choose your own spirituality. Right? If you're into, you know, if you want queer theology, it's there. If you want feminist theology, it's there. If you want all these other theologies, well, it's, it's there. You can choose, mix and match. It, it, it can be designed right and catered right to your desires and your whims. The only thing lacking was biblical theology. And the Judaizers, in some ways, they were coming in and they were, they were doing the same thing, but on the other side. And they're coming in, you know, Paul was going around and he's preaching the gospel that, hey, you can be made right with God by his grace through faith in the work of Jesus. And then they come behind him and say, oh, you, yeah, you, Paul came in, that's, that's great. And yeah, yeah, faith in Christ, that, that's good. But you, if you really want the good stuff, if you really want to be right with God, you know what you need to do? You need to become part of the covenant community. And what do you need to do to do that? Well, men, you need to get circumcised. So, snip, snip, let's do it. And Paul, you know, Paul is aghast at this because in, in doing this, even though they... they they would pull out their, the scriptures and, and, and point to all the, the portions of the, uh, of the Hebrew Bible and say, this is the demand of God. This is how you become part of his covenant. This is how you become part of his people. Do you see God's judgment when his people don't do that? Do you see his demands that all who belong to his, his people are, do you get circumcised? So if, you are, if you're serious about following God, well... You need to get circumcised. You need to become a Jew. You need, to, you, you need to, to follow our practices. 
And this is one of the central questions that the church was fighting with as they were forming. Do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be right with God? And they came to a, resound, you know, a very clear and resounding answer. No, Gentiles do not need to become Jews. We read about this in Acts 15. As the whole church meets, we hear it in Paul's letters again and again. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take a, 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 a moment to talk about you know, well, some of the things that you may hear even today. There's, I'd say, perhaps the, the worst argument of atheists against Christianity. You may have heard it before. It's, it goes something like this. You Christians, you say you're against this thing. Generally, it has something to do with sexual ethics. But I saw you just the other day scarfing down that bacon-wrapped shrimp like George Costanza at a business meeting. <laughs> just stuffing your face full of it. And do you know that the Bible says that you can't eat shellfish in Leviticus? Nor can you eat pork? It seems to me that you Christians are just picking and choosing which things to follow, and you're picking it because of your own, well, distaste for people or bigotry or quest for power. Have you heard that before? If not, well, stay away from the internet. <laughs> but what this fails to understand is, is the nature of, of, of the scriptures and the very thing that Paul is talking about, right? That Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to follow God fully, that the work of Christ is sufficient for them, a work that they are called to rejoice in. You see, the Old Testament has many laws for the, for the Hebrew people, things that would distinguish them, them, distinguish them from the nations. They've been likened to like a poster for a concert that's a, about to come. They're pointing forward to an event that was to transpire and to mark this people as the people through whom it would come. And that the event is the person and the work of Jesus that has come. And the posters, well, they're not needed anymore, are they? The event has transpired. And so the things that, this, that were called to distinguish the, the Hebrew people from the nations, like circumcision, their dietary laws, even that, you know, the, the idea of you can only wear one fabric at a time, so that cotton polyester blend is a no-go. All those things have been set aside because the work of Christ is sufficient. And when Paul is writing to this people, you know, these Judaizers who are coming and saying, hey, no, 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 you need to become, if you really want to follow God, you need to become Jewish. And he's saying, no, the work of Christ is sufficient. We are called to rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ's finished work. But why would they come? Why would they come and, and say, no, you need more? You need a Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the, all these other things. Well, because when you do that, when you follow the way of the flesh, you establish a hierarchy. It's almost like a, a pyramid scheme, except rather than you know, money where the people at the top who've been there the longest get all the money, it's one of social credit. The true Jews are at the top. You know, those who were, you know, 
born Jewish, who were circumcised in the way that God had, had, had said, those who had followed the law the longest. And the, those who came in lately, you know, those Gentiles, well, they're, they're down here. They have to work their way up. But when you rejoice in the Lord, you end up having to put aside your ability to, to stake your claim of where you are in this moral or religious hierarchy, don't you? And that this is why Paul says, listen, if we were going to be playing this game, I would be at the top. Right? I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. I was faultless in following the law. I'm not putting this stuff aside because it's somehow a benefit to me. I'm putting this stuff aside because this is the sufficiency of the work of Christ in which I rejoice. Imagine, if you would, you know, being in a, uh, a waiter in a restaurant, and you have a, a co-worker who is just terrible at their job, like can't handle more than a table or two at a time, constantly gets orders wrong, and because they're all stressed out, they're very curt and, you know, impolite to their customers, and they don't get any tips or money. And imagine this coworker at the end of the shift comes up to the rest of the wait staff that you're included on and says, hey guys, I have an idea. We, uh, it's not really fair about, you know, who gets more money. It's not, and you know, you may get, you know, good tippers, and so-and-so may get bad tippers, and it's not really fair because it has nothing to do with that, you know. I think we should just all pool our money and then split all the dividends equally. And everyone would think, look at that person and say, no, you're just terrible and you're trying to get ahead based upon taking my money, right? And Paul is going to lengths and saying, when I'm saying that we are, that this is not the way, it's not because I'm down here and then, oh, Christ's grace is enough so we're all equal here. He's saying, no, if we were playing this game, I'd be up here They'd be down here, but I'm going to call us to rejoice in the Lord because this is, because his work is sufficient and it's going to cost me the way of the flesh. The way of the flesh that's often garbed in religious language. So he gains confidence in Christ, but by losing confidence in his own flesh and merits. He receives the identity of Christ, but that means he loses his other identities. Right? We are the circumcision, he says. We are the people of God, not based upon you know, my Hebrew DNA, not based upon me being circumcised on the eighth day, not even based upon me being faultless in regards to the law. No, we are the circumcision because why? We work According to this, we serve according to the Spirit, we boast in Jesus Christ, and we put no confidence in, in the things of the flesh. That's what makes us the circumcision of Christ. That's where I receive my identity. And he takes hold of Christ's righteousness and loses his status of his own righteousness, the one faultless under the law, and yet what he says is his hope is to be found in him, he writes, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is just through faith in Christ. The same righteousness that he has, despite being blameless in following the law, it's extended to all the people. That his status that would be up here, well, it's been leveled out because all, all receive that righteousness by faith in Christ. 
And so he calls people to rejoice in the Lord and, and rejoice in the sufficiency of the Lord's work because without it, what we end up doing is we end up losing Christ either through our uh, well, wickedness, but even through our attempts at godliness. Our attempts to, to be our own savior. Our attempts to, to do the work of God apart from the grace and the power of God. And that is just as damning of an offense in Paul's, in Paul's eye. And he calls those who are trying to do it, those Judaizers, dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Their work is to put people outside of the kingdom of God rather than bring them in because they're calling people to put their faith in something other than the work of Jesus Christ. And so I rejoice I rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ's work. And last, I rejoice in the superiority of Christ's work. Read with me again, verses uh, 7 through 11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I lost my right, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings because becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul saying? Yes, he has to leave behind, he has to sacrifice the way of the flesh, one that would put him up here and put other people here, but he's saying it is worth it. Why? Because I have Christ. Because I have Christ. That Christ is is sufficient in, in not only his work, but he's sufficient to satisfy. He is superior to satisfy me than all these other things, these works of the flesh. Now, to have joy in one thing often means that we can't have joy in another thing. We're coming up on New Year's, and one of the most popular New Year's resolutions is, I want to read more, Right? Who's made that before? Okay, not as many as should. Okay, um, <laughs> right? You know, many times, whether New Year's or not, you know, it's like I want to read more. Um, but when I read, what's it taking the place of? Well, any other thing? Television, social media, any other of these things? And I can enjoy reading. But at a, every time when I want to go to read, it's like, well, do I enjoy it more than this or that? And very oftentimes, our problem with, with you know, becoming better readers is because, well, we, just, we, we might enjoy it, but other things are just way more tempting and pleasing. And so we have to choose, well, am I going to enjoy this or am I going to enjoy something else? And what Paul is saying is, you know, all these things, these these, the confidence in the flesh, whether pursuing the flesh for its sin or pursuing this, the, the flesh for its ability to make me stand out, this false godliness, 
All of them have to be sacrificed and laid down before the Lord. But guess what? Christ is better. It's, he's worth choosing. He's worth holding on to. That I'm not being shortchanged by laying these things down in the pursuit of Christ. No, no, no. I'm gaining. Christ is better to know than these things are to do. Christ is more secure than these things are. Christ gives a better hope in the resurrection than these things that lead to death. Christ satisfies where these other things leave me empty. Christ fulfills where these other things leave me desperate. Christ gives confidence where the flesh leads me in dismay. Christ gives me joy where these other things lead to despair. That Christ is better, he's superior, he's more desirable. His ways are, are better than our ways. And even these sacrifices that I have to make, even these, these things that, I, that he calls me to do that, that seem unpleasant, I know that Christ gives me the greatest gift of all. He gives himself to us. He offers his life to his people. He satisfies his people with good things. As James writes, that every good and perfect gift, it comes from above. It comes from, from the God of heaven and earth. He's not stingy. He's not miserly. He's not impressed with how miserable you are to follow him. No, the God of heaven and earth, he calls you to a life of joy in him. The joy that's known between the Father, Son, and Spirit, he invites his people in to dwell into that, to enjoy it with him, to be, to be you know, raptured up into that, into that bliss. This is the inheritance of the people of God. Now, what seems like a sacrifice is not that at all. It is an invitation, an invitation to find our life in him. Isn't this what Jesus says to us? Matthew 13, when he reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then his joy, what does he do? He goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. Right? It's joyous for him to go and sell everything that he has. Why? Because a treasure in there is worth way more than the things he has in his house. The treasure is more valuable. It's sweeter. It's worth it. And so without thinking, without, without deliberating, without being, you know, contemplating, oh, should I do this? Is it worth it? No, with joy he goes and sells. Because he sees the value of that treasure. And this is the treasure that God offers his people here today. And as we uh, turn and we celebrate communion, where the Lord offers to us himself once again, where he calls us to come and eat of him, this is my body given for you. This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins, that we once again remember the goodness of God as he offers his life for us, that we receive him, that we find his joy. With that, I'd like to uh, invite up Dave and the worship team as we prepare to take communion. Let's pray. Kind Father, I give you thanks and praise once again for your grace to your people. Yes, you called us to do some pretty audacious things at times. You call us to, to do things that seem absurd to the world. And even within the church, oftentimes they seem 
perplexing. But you do not leave your people shortchanged. The accusation that you are somehow miserly or withholding or begrudgingly giving joy to your people is, is unfounded. That you call us to be a people who, who live in, your, in the life extended to us through your son Jesus. That the fruit of your spirit in your people is joy. That you've called us to walk in this way, in this world. And so, Lord, as we come and we commune with your son and we experience his life broken and shed for us, Lord, fill your people with the joy of heaven. That we would be like you and that we would be your people, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.